As you're uh, finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere around you. Uh, And this morning's passage can be found on page 502. Um, They say confession is good for the soul, so I'm going to start out with a little confession this morning. Uh, Actually, probably almost everything that could go wrong for me personally has gone wrong this morning. So um, there was just some anxiousness that was in my heart. And so uh, Hayden had the privilege of just pulling me aside, speaking the gospel to me, praying. Um, But as we're here this morning, um, it's always a challenge, I think, to dial in, but particularly like on a holiday weekend. Uh, But I do believe that God actually has some things that he wants to say to us. He has some things that he wants to encourage us with. There's a real um, message that he has. I mean, we believe that God is both good and sovereign, that everybody that's in this room is here because uh, he's actually called you to be here, and he actually has something that he wants to communicate and say to you. And so uh, I believe he's going to do that from Psalm 103. And um, just as we open up this psalm, one of the things that probably is uh, the most difficult for me personally, uh, I'm actually talking to Zoe, who is my eight-year-old daughter, uh, about this as well, Um, and as I've talked to people over the years, one of the the most difficult things is to learn how to talk to God, right? How do we actually express our hearts to God, how do we become real with him? How do we become authentic? How do we not become some mechanical robot that just kind of goes through the motions? How do we authentically connect our hearts um, to who God is? And um, I was reading a book from Tim Keller on prayer, because prayer and worship, there's just a couple of things that in my own heart, in my own discipleship, that I, I feel like God wants me to grow in. Uh, and he quotes Eugene Peterson, and I think this is really helpful Uh, when we're talking about how do we learn to pray and how do we learn to worship. He says this, Because we learn language so early in our lives, we have no memory of the process and would therefore imagine that it was we who took initiative to learn how to speak. However, that is not the case. Language is spoken into us. We learn language only as we are spoken to. We are plunged at birth into a sea of language. Then slowly, syllable by syllable, we acquire the capacity to answer mama, papa, bottle, blanket, yes, no. Not one of these words was a first word. All speech is answering speech. We were all spoken to before we spoke. And that's from Eugene Peterson. So we learn to speak by being spoken to. So uh, it's no different in the scriptures. Like if we're learning to pray or we're learning to worship, we learn best by listening to God who's already spoken to us through his word. And so this morning we're going to look at how do we actually grow in prayer? How do we actually grow in intimacy? How do we actually grow in worship of this God that sometimes can seem so distant and far off from us? And Um, As I look back on the last 10 days or so of my life, I mean, there's been some real challenges that have arisen. As I have heard so many of your stories and I look at the suffering that's taken place inside of our community, there's, you know, there can leave us gasping for 
What can we say in moments of suffering and difficulty? How do we respond authentically to who God has revealed himself to be? And so just throughout the course of this week, the the words of Psalm 103 have come to mind over and over again. Verse 2 says, um, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There's something that's healing, there's something that makes us whole when we consider all the benefits that God has given us mainly through himself, through who he has revealed himself to be. And that's what we're going to do as we look at Psalm 103. So if you have your Bibles open and you are able to stand, would you stand with me as we're going to read the first 13 verses. And I want you to listen to the cadence of this psalm because um, this is completely outside of us. This is not about us. This is about God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now listen, this is what he does for his people. It's amazing. Who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, in these moments, we want to authentically approach you with all of our humanity, with all of our messiness, with all of our confused thoughts, and we ask that you would somehow bring them together and focus us on who you are. I pray that your compassion that you have towards your children would be manifest among us. I pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would build us up, that we would be more aware of who you are, and that would inform who we believe ourselves to be. To do that, we need you to send the Holy Spirit. We know that apart from you, um, we just simply can't do anything But we also have this confidence that we can approach you and that you hear our prayers and that you um, act on our behalf because of the good news of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 
So what we're going to look at this morning is who God is and why we can talk to him, why we can worship him. Um, if you notice, I didn't read the whole psalm, but there's 22 verses in this psalm, and they're all about God. There's not one thing for us to do except to enter into this conversation that tells us about the beauty and the grace and the mercy and the majesty of God himself. And um, as we're talking about worship, I'm not really talking about music. I'm not really talking about singing, although I really appreciate that. What I'm talking about is having a heart connection to God, right? Um, what I'm talking about is all of who we are coming into contact with all of who God is, right? Because that's what we are created for, um, even though that's what we're afraid of sometimes, um, that's what we desire. And this psalm kind of helps us to understand how we can actually approach God. This psalm was written by David. Um, and I think that's super helpful for us because I don't know how much you know about the Bible. Um, but we can make the mistake a lot of times of thinking that, that worship is only for people that have a spotless story. You know, that, that only people that can sing and only people that can worship and only people that can come into a church building are people that have it all together. David, the reason that people that are familiar with the Bible love David is because David has like a real story, right? I mean, he's a lot more like us than uh, we tend to give him credit for. I mean, he was probably the least likely member of his family. I mean, it's almost like the black sheep of the family who kind of rose to prominence and became the king. And he had this mixed bag of a story. Like there were times in his life where he experienced the power of God. I mean, you've probably heard David and Goliath. I mean, he was David. He won, right? So um, he had the power of God that was kind of flowing in his life. But he also had these monumental falls where he was caught in adultery, like where he was... Um, he caused the murder of the woman that he was committing adultery with. He, he murdered her husband. I mean... And what that helps us to understand is that oftentimes those that are forgiven the most can worship the most. So this isn't about us having everything together. This is about us coming in all of our humanity, bringing all of our story into contact with who God is. And I was reading the story of David this week, and um, you can read it sometime in 2 Samuel chapter 23. It's his last words that he records. And it's interesting that the thing that he wants people to know the most at the end of his life, it's not that he was a great warrior. It's not that he was a great king. He was known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. What he wanted to be remembered for was that he got to lead the people of God into worship, that he was the writer of the songs of Israel. And this is one of those songs, and it teaches us how to worship. And so David was a worshiper before he was a king, and it was worship that sustained all of his life. And it's not really any different for us. I mean, if we're honest, and if you've placed your faith in Jesus Worship is kind of our lifeline to God, right? I mean, we can do um, a lot of activity for God. I mean, we can do some religious services, and we can go do things sometimes, but really where life comes from is a heart connection with God. And that's what Psalm 103 invites us into, which brings me to my first point. Authentic worship engages all of who we are. Authentic worship engages all of who we are. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Bless the Lord, 
O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. So, a couple of things jump out immediately as we look at those two verses. David is talking to himself. Like he's reminding himself over and over of who God is. Intimacy with God begins not first by what we feel, because, um, I mean, we can all be honest in this room. I mean, how many people woke up and said, man, I'm stoked that it's Sunday. Like, I can't wait to get there. There might be a few people in here, but, but if we're honest, it takes a little bit of coffee and a little bit of talking to ourselves to say, why are we going today? What are we going to do? What are we going to encounter? Right? We need to be able to talk to himself. So he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And he says it two times, which I think is super helpful for us because he's like us. Like most of the time, like we don't understand what God's saying unless we slow down, right? And he says it two times. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. So when things seem squirrely and they are going out of control, the thing that we need to do the most is to quiet our souls before who God is and remind ourselves of what's true. And that's what takes place in Psalm 103. So it's amazing to me. We normally think about us, um, God blessing us, right? But worship is David's gift to God. He says, I want to bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. It's all of who David is coming into contact with all of who God is. So worship blesses God, but it changes us, right? It's impossible for us to come into contact with the living God and not be transformed. Listen to this quote from Tim Hughes. It's, a, it's from a worship book that I'm reading, and uh, there's some worship guys that I'm working with as well. Um, this book is super helpful on the purpose of worship. It says, Singing songs to God in itself is not worship. Worship involves offering to God all that we are, And all that will be offering our heart, our soul, and mind. Worship is our all-consuming response to God. So that's what we're shooting for. All of us coming into contact with all of who God is. And the difference is it changes us. Now, summer is upon us. I mean, there is this innate human desire to connect with something bigger than ourselves. Um, the last several years, my wife and my family and I, we've gone to the beach. And you know what? There's a lot of other people at the beach, like during the summer. So, I mean, you can like plop down, even if you get beach service and you want to be like in your own little world. I mean, if you look to your left, as far as you can go, there'll be people. And if you look to your right, as far as you go, there'll be people. Why is it? It's, it's not just the, the natural beauty that's there. People have an innate desire to connect with something bigger than themselves. So people go on vacation with all of their worries, all of their anxieties, all their cares, and by about day two or three, after dipping their toes in the sand and seeing wave upon wave and considering just the hugeness of the world, like the problems just seem to fade away. 
Like, that's the essence of what worship is. Everybody has this innate desire to connect with something bigger than themselves. It's Memorial Day weekend. Everybody's going to hang out with friends and family and celebrate, because that's what we're made to do. Like, we love to have a party. July 4th, what do we do? We set off fireworks celebrating the birth of this country, right? Because we're made to celebrate, where our hearts are made to connect with something bigger. Um, I even read a a study recently that even 30% of people that claim no faith in God, they don't even believe that there is a God, pray to God at least 30% of the time. Isn't that amazing? Like people that don't even believe that God exists sometimes pray to him. Why is that? Because there is this innate desire to connect with something that's bigger. And this psalm helps us to understand who God is and what he's done. Which brings me to my next point. The essence of worship is remembering and rejoicing in the benefits of God himself. So we're going to just spend the rest of our time just reminding ourselves of what's true about God. Verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Why does verse 2 say forget not all his benefits? Because so quickly we forget, right? Most people think that this psalm was written near the end of David's life. I mean, the story of the people of Israel is they experienced the salvation and the power of God only to experience his blessing and then to forget God. So basically what David is saying, um, if you are wandering, worship is the way home. Um, if you are prospering, worship is the way to keep you connected to God. That this is an invitation for everyone that's been created by God to experience who he is. So he's saying this psalm will help us not forget the benefits of God. John Mark Comer in his book, um, The Name of God, says this. He says, he's quoting A.W. Tozer. He says, we become like what we worship. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. That's a very important phrase. Were we to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes to mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. Put it another way, what you think about God will shape your destiny in life. So, I want to make this very real, very applicable. What you think about God will determine how you approach God. So if you think God has a short temper and he's like an angry college basketball coach that's throwing a tirade on the sidelines, um, you're probably not going to draw near very often, right? If you believe that God is uh, obsessed with how you're doing and your performance, right, um, it's going to make you into a performance addict. If you think that uh, God is somehow like a liberal hippie version uh, of Christianity where people just sit around brushing each other's hair, uh, that's going to turn you into a certain kind of person. But for most of us, if you've grown up in the South, like your view of God is he's primarily disappointed with us. Um, He at best, is tolerating us, um, and he really is wondering when we're going to get our act together. 
This psalm directly contradicts that. That's more religion than gospel. So what does this tell us about the benefits of who God is? Let's listen to these benefits and let them inform our worship. Let's look at verses 3 through 6. This is a God who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all those who are oppressed. And what I love about these verses is they're continuous, right? It's not like God forgave you. It's a God who forgives. It's not a God that healed you. It's a God who heals. They're all present continuous. So this is the God that you're going to encounter every time that you come before him in worship. This is the God that you're going to encounter every time that you come before him in prayer is a God that does not change, a God who heals, a God who forgives, a God that redeems. So God in of himself is for his people 100% all of the time. I love this uh, verse Three, who forgives all your iniquity. Forgiveness is underrated by the people of God. Forgiveness is a big deal. He forgives all of our iniquity. Not just the iniquity that you feel good about. Not just the ones that you feel forgiven for. Not just the ones that you promised that you would change and don't seem to change, God forgives all of your iniquity. That's the kind of God. That builds intimacy and trust and worship. It's a God that forgives all of our iniquity. Now, look at verses 11 and 12 because it's rooted in his love and his forgiveness. Verses 11 and 12 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now, now when, when I was a dad with young kids, often like I would pull my kids close and I would say, I love you this much, right? And I would reach as far as I could, and I remember all of them, like, trying to get their arms, I love you this much, like, trying to get in a competition with one another. Like, oftentimes, we can wonder, what does God think about us? He says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so far is his great love for us. His love for us is limitless. His love for us is boundless. His love for us is not based on us, it's based on his infinite love and his infinite compassion. You will never exhaust the love and the grace of God. That is the point of this psalm. A God that forgives all of your iniquity. A God that loves you as high as the heavens are above the earth. So much so that he sent his only son into the world to die for you so that you could draw near to him. So that you could have a relationship with him. As far as the heavens are above the earth. And this, um, if you took any high school math class and you don't, you wondered what geometry was for. Do you remember like, you had to draw like number lines with a graph, you know? An x-axis and a y-axis. As far as the east is from the west. 
All I remember about geometry is those two things go in equal and opposite directions. East and west never meet. Well, that's how far God removes our transgressions from us. How does he do that? How does he forgive like that? How does he make our relationship not contingent on our own spiritual performance? It's because he's laid the iniquity of us all on Jesus. So that every time that we look at him in faith, it changes us, it strengthens us, it encourages us, and it helps us to build a relationship with God. All of our sins have been laid on Jesus. So we worship a God who forgives. The second part of the verse says, a God who heals all your diseases. This not only refers to physical healing, which I'm certain that God does, but it also refers, this word healing is about something that's much broader. It's about restoring everything that's broken in our lives. It's um, Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter chapter 2 where it says we are healed by his stripes. It means that God is going to reverse the effects of sin in our life. That he's actually going to fix the devastation and the destruction of the sins that we've committed and the sins that have been committed against us. He is a God that forgives. Um, it's, it's the same word that's used in the Psalms where it says he binds up the brokenhearted. Like, God is a healer. He actually cares about where you are this morning. He cares about the the things that tend to bring you pain and shame and discomfort. He actually wants to come in and heal you through his spirit and through his love. He is a God who heals. That's the God that we are approaching. He also is a God who redeems. We worship a God who redeems. Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Everybody knows what a pit is, right? The pit is that place where you're stuck. The pit is that place where you are hopeless That pit is a place where you can't get yourself out of. I mean, this is literally a picture of someone sitting in prison, right? And being bound up and then being redeemed or bought back. And that, that price is the blood of Jesus, that we were in a pit and God reached down in and through Jesus and redeemed us. And not only does he just free us from the pit that we're in, it says that he crowns our lives with steadfast love and mercy. That's a picture of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That means that he takes the crown of righteousness that literally belongs to Jesus, and he reaches down to us in our dirt, and our muck, and our mire, and he says, I'm going to look at you the same way that I look at Jesus. Like, that's the God that we worship. He crowns us. That's why it says in Psalm 3 that he is the lifter of our heads, right? He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. That is the God that we worship. So you can see how when you begin to slow down and you begin to think about God's character, it begins to draw us in. We want to respond to this God. We want to 
worship him. We want to pray to a God like this. Not our man-made categories, right? What we think God is like. But this is actually what God is like. A God that redeems our life from the pit. And I remember, I mean, there just was a period of my life when, I mean, I was probably from the time I was 18 to 20 years old. I mean, I couldn't tell left from right. I didn't know up from down. I couldn't change myself. I mean, I was looking for anything and everything to satisfy me apart from God. And then just this miracle happened. Like someone invited me to a church that I had no desire to go to, but I strangely responded and I went. And I began to hear good news and dared to believe that that was for me. And I remember literally feeling like shackles had fallen off in my life. Like, not only is that to be the initial experience of the Christian life, I mean, that's why we gather here on Sundays, primarily is to pronounce the forgiveness and the redemption of God so that we can lay our burdens down, that we can lay our failures and our sin and our shame down and receive the righteousness and the goodness of God on our behalf. So this is not only true of us before conversion, but also after Like, we get stuck, right? You may be in a pit here this morning. I mean, it could be physical suffering that you're going through. It could be relational turmoil. It could be something that you're going through with your family or your kids. It could be your business. But the promise to those that look to God is a God who redeems your life from the pit. And he's not going to just free you, but he's going to crown you with steadfast love and mercy. Steadfast love is his covenant love that never changes, that never expires. He promises to deliver us from the lowest place and to seat us with Christ in the heavenly places. So God is a God that redeems us. Look at verse 5. He also is a God that promises to satisfy us with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So we worship a God who's committed to satisfying your soul. He actually cares that you partake of his goodness in such a way that it begins to strengthen you and give you power to walk out a new life, right? It's not just... So you have to think a little bit about this, but it's his goodness that brings strength. So an absence of believing that God's good brings fear, and anxiety, and worry, right? Most of us, when we're going through difficult times, it's, it's not as if um, we're worried if God is actually in control of the world. We wonder, is he really good? Is he going to be good to me in this circumstance that I'm experiencing right now? And so what God does in this psalm is saying, I want to remind you of my infinite goodness for wherever you are right now so that it begins to strengthen you. Because when we believe God is good, and not just good in some generic abstract way, but he's good to me, that he doesn't tire of doing good to me, that he doesn't tire of forgiving me and delivering me, it actually begins to build strength. Because honestly, like when you believe that God is with you, you can withstand anything. 
right? So the, the purpose for us coming together and when you are trying to pray or trying to sing on your own is like, God, would you let me come into contact with your goodness? Don't let me move on from reading the scripture or singing the song without tasting and seeing that you're good. It's a God that satisfies us with good. That's who we approach. So vision and perspective and rest only can come for us for the next step in our lives when we experience the goodness of God. Ultimately, and I'm going to close with this verse, we don't need new insights about God, right? Most of us, we we honestly have this picture of who God is we need God himself, right? We don't need to just talk about him in abstract terms as if he's some science experiment somewhere. He's a person to be encountered. That's who we're singing to. And verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Not only is he a God that's far off, and transcendent, and majestic, and beautiful, but he's also a father. He's our father that we can approach. And I know for so many in this room, like that image is painful, the image of a father. And I just believe that God wants to encourage you that even though your earthly father may or may not have met the cut, that he himself is your father. He himself is watching over you and he himself is caring for you. And so the invitation for all of us here is to encounter God as he is. So this morning it's an opportunity for us if you need forgiveness for your sins to come to Jesus and receive forgiveness. If you need healing for your broken heart or your broken story, or if you need healing for your body, to come to Him for that healing. If you are stuck in a pit for Him to be able to redeem you and to crown you with steadfast love and mercy. All of this only happens because God in Himself entered into our story through Jesus Christ, who was both fully God and fully man, He lived and obeyed God perfectly in our place. And that's how God sees us when we place our faith in him. He was nailed to the cross for all of our sin and all of our rebellion. And God raised him up so that we would have hope no matter what we face here this morning. That's the good news of the gospel. That is who we approach. That is who we sing to. So as we encounter this God, it changes us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are a good father that shows compassion to his children. Thank you that you are actively involved in our story. I pray that just a few of these aspects of your character would draw us into worship as we sing. I pray that the aspects of your character would draw us towards yourself um, as we celebrate communion together. I pray that you would, in and of yourself, meet with us personally in a real and a tangible way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.